with what can we compare the kingdom of God? These are Jesus' words there in verse 30. This is what he says, so that we can see what is Jesus doing today. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? If Jesus was digging into his bag of parables, of illustrations, he was thinking and showing, what would we use to compare the kingdom of God? Last week we heard Jesus speak about the four soils. And as he spoke about the four soils, he explained big, complex, eternal realities that exist in our world and forever to come in ways that we can understand today. But more than that, Jesus is not just explaining things. And this is important for us to see. Jesus is not just interested in explaining things as if all that matters is our minds understand. It's more than that. But preaching is more than that. Preaching is not just explaining the text as if you couldn't understand it at all without the preacher. Because by God's Spirit, you could. The preacher is not unlocking things that you can't know unless you've got a preacher. The preacher's not doing that. The preacher is more than explaining something. The preacher's role is to preach it in a vivid and real way into our ears, to our minds, into our hearts, and sow that seed so the Spirit can work. And that's what Jesus is doing now. He's preaching. And this means if you're speaking the gospel or you're sort of speaking the gospel or God's word to people or to yourself in your devotional times, it's more than a matter of explaining and understanding. It's a matter of Jesus renovating your heart. It's a matter of Jesus taking his word, God's word by his spirit and moving the furniture of faith around in your heart. The place where you internally have your affections, your, your beliefs, your worldviews. Jesus is by his word moving that furniture of faith so your faith rests now on something that's more sure, as more sure as in what you sit on. What you sit on cost about $60. It's a beautiful blue chair. But that chair won't last. The only thing that will last in this world is, are you with Jesus or not? Do you have your faith on him? So friends, in this moment now, as we come to two little parables that can seem like so insignificant, this is a significant moment for you. This is a moment where As Jesus does the renovating in your heart, he will change everything. Because it's all about a new kingdom. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God. For he is the king. We live in a world that's old. As John Denver sang in that classic song that everyone should know. Country roads take me home. It's younger than the mountains, older than the trees. Well, our world is old. It is older than the trees. The other day in Castlemaine, Amy and I went over there on a day off and rode around Castlemaine Gardens. There is a tree there, a gum tree, which surprised me because I'm not really a huge fan of gum trees. No offense, they're okay. But I love an oak. 
or a pine, a river in a pine. But there's a gum tree there, and there's a picture of the gum tree, and it's the same tree. And it's, it was there before the American Civil War, before 1861. I, I couldn't find a date it was exactly planted, but it, that's an old tree. We live in an old world. We live in a world that is actually as old as the mountain. Where people have been around since the beginning. We live in an old world where there is nothing new under the sun. But you know what we do in our world today? We pretend there is. We pretend there is something new under the sun. But everything is fading. Everything won't last. And there is a new world coming. There is a new king coming. And he's bringing in a new kingdom. And Jesus is now saying, with what can we compare that new kingdom with something in this old world? And he's saying, it's going to be hard. What could we use in this old world to compare the new kingdom of God? And Jesus picks a little seed. With these two little parables about seeds, this has everything to do with your life. But you could be thinking right now, just finish the intro of the sermon. Maybe it's time to kind of drift off into thinking about other things I've been thinking about during the week. You could be thinking right now, it's possible. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I'm often wrong. It's possible you could be thinking right now, two little parables. Russ has just explained. Apparently he's preaching this into my heart. He's going to give it a shot anyway. You could be thinking, why should I care why should I care why would you care Jesus has been preaching he's using parables some people in the room as they listen that day don't care they don't want a bar of it they will not keep listening why should you care friends I'll tell you who does care they're in the room right now. There's a whole bunch of people that care. I'll give you one example. Parents. If you're a parent of a child, and you're in the room right now, be that a young child or an adult child, you care. You care a lot about the kingdom of God. And you care a lot about whether your kids, teenagers, or adult children, are listening to Jesus concerning the kingdom of God. Here's what I know. Uh, as your pastor, I spent a lot of time with people in our church, one-to-ones, coffees, all sorts of... And, and Josh, notice lately, and as a parent myself, I've noticed this lately, I've talked with parents of teenagers who are wrestling in prayer for their teenagers. Like they are deeply concerned Teenagehood is that stage of life. Uh, look, if we've all been there. If you're older than a teenager, you were once a teenager. All of us here were once teenagers, if you've made it past that age. You remember, don't you? It's a stage of life where you're asking lots of questions. The big question is, do I care about this? Do I care about that? What does it matter to me? Why should I bother? And parents, I feel the pain of this possible future myself where parents of adult children who don't believe in Jesus, who don't live for Jesus as Lord of their life, at this time of their life, they feel this. 
Do you feel this? And I want to say to parents in the room, this passage is for you. Take a look. This passage about how the kingdom grows brings great comfort for you. It really does. And while we're speaking about children and teenagers, and there are children and teenagers in the room, isn't that great? Why should you care? Because this passage of two little parables where Jesus is speaking, he's actually speaking about your future. So I know, like, when I was a teenager, I've been always wired different ways. I was always wired to be passionate about something. I couldn't help it, right? Because I was in the Army Cadets. I'm passionate about the Army Cadets. That's into farming. I'm passionate about farming. International Harvester. Passionate. What? They changed the case international? Oh, move to John Deere. Passionate about John Deere. And I, I get older. I, I go to uni. And, I'm also, and someone recommends, maybe you should, you know, you've got the gift of the gab and you could talk like Paul all night. And, you know, maybe we should have some paramedics if Eutychus is around. But could you, could you consider being a pastor? No, I don't want to do that. And then by God's grace, here I am passionate about pastoring God's people. That's me. So as a teenager, I always knew I wanted to do something. But a lot of my friends, I get, didn't know what they wanted to do. Sometimes people still don't know what they want to do. At 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, they still don't know. what. That's okay. God makes us in different ways. But in all of that, it doesn't matter if you're passionate about something or you're just moving through life and that's okay. Why should you care about this? Because it doesn't matter which direction you go, here is an inevitability. Your future will either be in the shade of or collide with the kingdom of God. There's no avoiding it. You will either be in the shade of the kingdom of God and be in its safety and comfort forever, or you will collide with it, rebelling against it. It's coming. The future is coming. Jesus in these little parables about little seeds is saying there is inevitability and it's coming as the kingdom of God. This message is for you, teenagers in the room, to turn and trust in the only thing that is trustworthy in this world. Jesus is the only thing that will not let you down. Ever. There are, of course, couples who don't have children yet in the room. There are a church family of us that are single. I know that you care. Why do you care? Because here's what I hear. All of you have questions about direction in life. Where to go, what to do, the freedoms of choice you have is innumerable, more than any other generation has had. We're the wealthiest, most free generation to do whatever you want. But that means that you can be overwhelmed often with choice. Questions. And what is God doing here? What is Jesus saying? He's speaking into your life and these parables. He's telling you that in the things you have no control over, get this, God's got it. And he's got a plan and it's going somewhere. There are others who care in the room. Lastly, let me speak to leaders of our church in the room. People who dearly love the church would love to see churches grow and glorify God. And honestly, we're never going to get the sort of numbers into churches in Bendigo or into our state that Tay-Tay got. It doesn't seem like that, does it? Like if you were saying, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? The future is like a Tay-Tay concert. 
Taylor Swift. Sorry, I'm just hearing who is Taylor Swift. She's a famous person today. You may never have heard of her and that's okay. Probably a good thing. But hey, I'm not dissing Taylor Swift. All right, the service, because this is going online one day and on Life FM. I have been a Taylor Swift fan. I was I was a huge fan. I have her early country albums. Just going in a different direction than my tastes enjoy. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know how that came up, but anyway. I hear how's it, here's how it came up. I think we can easily look, leaders of the church, we're just churches. We look at our world and we say, we are so unimpressive. We are not drawing crowds like at the MCG anymore. And it can feel like we're kind of in a losing game. Jesus says, not true, not true. Let's come and have a look at this parable. Let's hear his words. Just after he's spoken the word of the four soils, why does this come up? Why does he go here? Because Jesus is speaking with the four soils, speaking with the language of judgment of the person who doesn't accept God's word. And now Jesus is giving comfort to his disciples who are going, well, if that's the case, how are we going to see this kingdom come? And Jesus' big point is, it's all a matter of sowing and sleeping. And there's two points on page four of the sermon outline there in the service sheet. Two big things. The kingdom of God will grow. And firstly, it's inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable. Have you ever been in a room that's full of expectation? Maybe it is a concept like Tay-Tay or George Strait or someone. Have you ever been in a room that's just full of expectation? Perhaps you've been to one of those surprise birthday parties and you're hiding behind the couch. You've got a good spot. Imagine you're hiding behind the couch at a surprise birthday party. It's rounding 7pm, so the birthday girl who doesn't know what's going on is supposed to appear. And imagine that whilst you're waiting there with everyone else in silence and people are giggling and everyone's going... All of a sudden, the birthday girl arrives, pokes her head in and says, Oh, what a surprise. Grabs a piece of cake and then leaves. It's kind of what the disciples are feeling. The disciples have been expecting the Messiah, the Christ, who they're kind of getting a picture, maybe this is it. And in chapter 8, that's what Peter will say. They're, They're expecting big kingdom change. Here it is. Surprise! Jesus is the king, you losers! And he's going to take over the Roman Empire and he's going to win. It's going to be fantastic, except he's not doing it. Jesus, we had it set up for you. We had the set, you had the play. It was easy to kick it into the net. What's going on? And they're kind of, they're sort of expectations not being met. They saw the miracles. They heard his preaching. They thought the kingdom of God would come at once right then and there. But Jesus is showing them in these parables, he is showing them the kingdom comes. It's small to start with, but it is inevitable. He's showing them it will come against adversity, steady and gloriously until the harvest has come and the end of the world comes. As we know it, the kingdom of God will come in. But Jesus' big point is, as it's inevitable, see this. It comes without human effort primarily driving it. And to preach this, Jesus picks hmm, a farmer again. He picks a farmer and he says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Do you notice this about the farmer? Even for the ancient Near East, for the first century, he doesn't have brilliant technique. So 
you know, Paul will say later in First Corinthians three, I, I planted a polis, watered, God gives growth. It doesn't even water it. No fertilizer, there's no no even other passages of scripture speak about weeding. There's no weeding. There's nothing. He just scatters the seed. He sows the seed, and then what does he do? What is the next major activity of this farmer? He sleeps. Now, when you first read that scene of sowing and sleeping, you could think, of course he sleeps. He's tired. You ever scattered seed, Russ? Of course he sleeps. But that's not the point of Jesus' parable. Jesus is not saying the farmer sleeps because he's worked long hours. Jesus is not saying that the the sowing was so big and the harvest is going to be so big, the farmer now has such a big sleep. He needs such a big sleep. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, get this, the sleep is incidental. Jesus is saying the sleep is intentional. See this? The farmer sows the seed. That's the only thing he can do. And then he sleeps the sleep of faith. Because all he can do is sow the seed. He can't make it grow. In fact, he doesn't even know how. He doesn't know how that happens. The farmer sleeps the sleep of a person who doesn't know how it grows, but he trusts that God knows how it grows. And so what does he do? Knowing he can't control that part, he sleeps. Friends, when I have sleepless nights, when you have sleepless nights, what is really going on if you're a Christian person? I'll tell you what's going on with me. I preach this. I preach it to you. I preach it to my own heart. I get in devotionals each week. I open up the scriptures and I'm walking around the house needing these verses of scripture. And then I sleep and I start thinking about things out of my control, things that are difficult, things that I can't seem to work out solutions to. And what happens? I lose sleep. I don't sleep. Why? Is it God's fault? No. Has he not fixed it for me? No, he's doing something. And I'm trying to believe that. What's, can you see the problem? I have sleepless nights because I'm not sleeping by faith. The person who can sleep trusts that God's got this. When I'm sleepless, I know I'm struggling to trust that God has got this. I'm trying to solve it in my sleep, which, how how often does that work? It never works. And friends, I know some of us suffer insomnia. Amy, my dear wife, she suffers insomnia, so she has to sometimes get medical help with that. that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of sense where you are sleepless because you're trying to solve the things and trying to fix it yourself and you just can't. And that's the point where you need to hear Jesus' words and say, the farmer scatters the seed and then he sleeps. The farmer gets God's word, sows it in his heart, and then trusts God in his sleep. I love how in verse 28, Jesus used this phrase, ESV translates it as, the earth produces by itself. In other words, the farmer's doing nothing. The word there for produces by itself is the Greek word automatos. Can you guess what word we get from that? Automatos. It's automatic. This is how sowing the word works in our lives. Whether the word is preached today, something's going to happen. The word is being sown in your life right now. Whether it's spoken over morning tea, you have a conversation. How was your week? Terrible. Um, how can I pray for you? 
How is Jesus getting you through? What words of scripture are you focusing on? Whether it's taught in a reforming group to one another as we speak the word to one another, whether it's in a devotional at youth group, learned in kids' church lessons, or simply prayed through at a prayer service, the word is working as it is sown. And all we have to do is sow it. All we have to do is, is pick up the scriptures and read it and speak it to one another and focus on that is where the power is. And then we can sleep by faith. The word will do the work. It'll do something. God will give the growth. He will bring it to completion. Because look at verse 29. Here is what is inevitable. There is a day coming when, as Johnny Cash sang, a man comes around. There is a day coming when the grain is ripe and at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come, Jesus says. The great sower, of course, is Christ. Christ is the international harvester. Christ is the one who will return and gather his harvest, gather his people. And friends, this is a great comfort to us. The comfort is that this inevitability of this growth and look at the next part of the next little parable, it's universal. Mark goes on to record in this section, verse 30. And he said, Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds on the earth. A translation could be, it's the least of the seeds. It's the most insignificant, tiny, small, unimpressive seed. But here is what is impressive about the kingdom of God. From that little seed, a worldwide universal kingdom grows. The smallest of seeds grows into the largest of plants. It's a contrast of size. And look at this. It's the least of seeds but can grow a plant that birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This is an Old Testament illusion. Ezekiel picks it up. Daniel picks it up. It's of a great tree, a kingdom where world kingdoms come under its shade. And and Jesus' point is this, God's kingdom is bigger than that. The kingdom of God is always spoken positively, Mark's gospel, and Jesus is speaking more than positively, he's speaking of it powerfully. It's powerful. It is unstoppable. It is inevitable. It is universal. And Jesus is showing you, friends, if you are looking for stability in this world, and we all are, if you're looking for some security in this world, If you're just looking for some shade in this world, the kingdom of God is the safest shade to be in. It's so natural for us, of course, looking around, be that a Tay-Tay concert, or just, what is everyone else doing today? Or just the interest in the things of Christ and his church. It is easy for us, I've done it, I'm going to guess you've done it, to Zechariah 4.10 style, despise the day of small things. I get it. I've been to conferences, church conferences, church growth conferences, where it's all about being growing and impressive. Almost as if if we could just do some impressive things, the world would notice and go, wow, that's, gee, that's, that's bigger than, that's more important than a Tay-Tay concert or whatever it is. And And if they were impressed with us, then they might want to come to church and come to check out Jesus because they might find Jesus impressive. But that's not how the kingdom of God grows. 
See, God is doing something better, more powerful. Do you see what he's doing? From the small seeds and sleeping of his people. I think we can get so caught up in frenetic and how much we've got to do. We do more, we've got to do more. We're, oh, there's not enough people coming to Christ. We've got to do more. It's, not people, it's, all, it's all someone else's fault. We're going to do more, 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 more. Until we're so burnt out and we're sleepless at night, we've forgotten the main ingredient is the gospel word and the fact that we sleep by faith. Friends, that's what we've been given. That's called the ordinary means of grace by the reformers. Because it is ordinary. It's the way God works in our world. God is doing something even when we're sleeping. God is going to give the growth for those gospel seeds sown. God is growing his kingdom inevitably, universally, and it's the safest place to be when the harvest comes. Because the harvest is coming. When Jesus finished speaking these two small parables with large implications for our lives, Mark narrates that moment in verse 33. He says this, With many such parables he spoke to word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. See what Jesus is doing? Jesus is doing everything that we would understand. More than that, that we would be moved to trust to believe. Jesus is sowing the word in our lives right now. And for us today, what is left to do? Well, friends, it's all a matter of sowing and sleeping. It's growing in our daily sowing and sleeping. Here's what we get to believe today. The word of God is sufficient to accomplish the work of God. The word of God is sufficient to accomplish the work of God. And we know that it is. Why? Because what is the word? See the banner on the sermon for this season? What is the word of God? Who is the word of God? It's Jesus himself. When you look at Jesus... The Word made flesh, who dwelt among us, who died on the cross and rose again for us. This is the gospel word that grows in us in that daily and sowing and sleeping. It's faith in Jesus. And so, friends, please do not underestimate the significance of what happens on the days of small Sundays. See, I think we can go, oh, you know, Sunday, that's great, church, that's fine. But, you know, if we had a spectacular thing over here, then people would notice. Then things would change, whatever that thing is. Now, I'm not against spectacular things, right? Whatever that thing is. It's good to have ideas and creativity. But I think we've got to be careful we don't despise the days of small Sundays, the weekly rhythm, gathering with God's people, hearing his word. Because in those moments, be they incremental that's where people are changed by the hearing of God's word. We need not underestimate the significance of the proclamation of the word of God, the gospel seed sown in our lives. Test this. How did you become a believer if you are? Was it because you saw a stunt motorbikes riding around in a big park and someone got up and said, hey guys, I know we're pretty cool and we're Christians. If you want to become a Christian, come in the front. And you didn't hear a, 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 any any gospel word at all. Is that how you become a Christian? Because if you did, that's sad and you're probably not a Christian. 
You became a Christian because you heard the word of Christ. That's what your trust is in. That's what your faith is in. You became a Christian because you heard the gospel. Friends, the gospel is the power of God to save. Not stunned motorbikes. That might be interesting to go to. And we, we took the kids to monster trucks. We did. But that won't change their life forever. It's here in the gospel word. Don't underestimate the power in the gospel. And friends, we live in a world where more and more, probably more than any other generation, you are the most connected. You are probably the largest hearers of multimedia all at once. You and I live in a world where so much comes for our hearts. So much, so many messages at once comes. And we can easily sow things into our lives from all those messages that sow, what do they actually sow? A lot of it's anxiety. Like if you're following certain channels on social media and you just keep seeing the conspiracy theories, it just sows this anxiety. Worry about the next thing and the other thing and that thing. And anxiousness can lead to anger. Where instead we could be sowing Christ into our life which leads to repentance and rejoicing and grace and kindness. Friends, what you sow into your life, you will grow to become. The old saying is true. You become what you eat. Or you become, in this case, what you behold. Whatever media you consume, whatever message you constantly get during the week, be that lots of multiple messages, you actually end up becoming that. You become to believe that. That becomes your worldview. You secretly might not know it does not good for you. It's consuming you. But whatever you consume wise becomes you. Friends, this is the opportunity. Sow something better into your life. For if we sow with God's word into our life, God would comfort and assure us and help us. And you could actually sleep the sleep of faith. In our day, we measure things with algorithms and metrics of speed. And it's so natural to us to be unimpressed, unimpressed by the simple words on a page, unimpressed by a message of a man dying on a cross. It seems to us nothing much will happen. It seems that for now what God is doing just looks hidden. My friends, you know this, don't you? God works in the hidden places of our heart where nothing else gets to. He works in the hidden places of our heart by his powerful word. It seems insignificant. It seems unimpressive. But the sovereign power of the great sower changes everything. Often, for us parents, let me speak to parents again for a moment. Often we are worried about the kids having the right nutrition? Do they have enough or the right extracurricular activities? Do they have the right education? But here's a bigger question. Are we getting the words sown into their lives? Parents, I know some of you are really wor working at this, that you've got great efforts at this. Family worship is a special time in our households. We're at dinner time, we have a Bible, we've got a table Bible, and you open the table Bible and you read a few verses. And we've all got this picture of what that would look like. Instagram. There is our beautiful children saying, Father, 
could you please read a passage of scripture for us? And other children saying, yes, father, please read the scriptures and then we shall pray. We, we all have that secret longing as parents, don't we? That's what we want. What's the reality often? Us. And it's easy in the chaos to give up, isn't it? Fathers, mothers, it's easy. Well, they, don't, they don't want this anyhow. Why do they care? Why should they care? Friends, that's the way the kingdom grows. All you have to do is scatter the seed. And sometimes you can feel like that's all I did. I got some verses out. Pray the grace, scatter the seed. And you think, well, what can happen? Friends, sleep the sleep of faith. For it's in those small seed moments the kingdom of God grows. Teenagers. Perhaps you've seen this. You've seen your parents try and fail and... We're all good at pointing out other people's failures, aren't we? We're experts at that. But can I encourage you, teenagers, you live in a generation of choice. You live in a part of the world where the choices before you, many people around the world have never had. Even the fact that you could contemplate going to university in our world means you live in the wealthiest part of the world. The fact that you could not work for, say, three or four years and go to uni, that means, you, I mean, yes, you get a student debt. You don't want to ask how big mine is. I spent my 20s in tertiary education. But that means that we are, I am incredibly wealthy because I didn't have to work for roughly 10 years. Yes, I have a debt, but, but do, do you see? There are people in the world that couldn't dream of that, to not work for three or four years to get a university degree. That's incredible wealth. That's incredible choice that you can even choose to do that or not. That you could choose to have an apprenticeship or not and make a truckload of money and buy a brand new Ford Ranger and drive around town with it. That, that's an incredible choice before you. You live in a world of choices. Teenagers. But those choices, let me tell you by experience, can overwhelm you. You live in a world that can also be full of choice and full of confusion. Yet, as you listen to Jesus, he is the only one trustworthy who has something real and lasting to say for your life. Jesus will grow that assurance that God loves you. He is near you. He will never leave nor forsake you. Friends might. Family might, but he will never do that. And Jesus provides shade and stability for your life, nesting in the tree. The same God who grows his kingdom to provide for you, he also provides for your friends to come to. I know as teenagers, my friends, my high school friends, who I'm still friends with, we go to reunions, all sorts of things, and they're very different to me in many ways, but also very similar, wear the same clothes, interested in the same things. But for us, they would say, why do I care, us?" And they might say that during the day, but during the night, Often those reunions, those get-togethers in the pub, it's in the back room at night when no one else is around, then one of them's brave enough to say, because their other friends aren't there, you know what, my life is a bit crumbling. I don't know where there's actual hope. Because that's the real question in the room for everyone. That's the real question in the room. If we're brave enough, honest enough to ask it, who has got some safety and assurance in our world? Jesus has.
So with you, with questions in life, you may not have kids. You may just have questions. We all do. Where to go? What to do? Jesus shows us a picture here of an inevitable and universal safety in his kingdom. Some of us get to middle age and wonder, did I make the right choices? Did I, did I completely muck this up? Jesus says, you're safe with me, whatever happens. So let that word be sown in your life. Let it be sown and let that be a comfort to you, whatever happens in life. Because see this, in the day of small things, even in the day of small seeds, we can be sowing and sleeping because the harvest is coming. It's inevitable, it's universal, and it's for you. The kingdom of God is for you. Jesus is saying, come in, trust him, and be with him forever. Let's pray his kingdom come. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy to us, that you've spoken to us in parables that we are able to hear it. Lord, today, this week, by your grace, sow your word in our hearts, in our lives, and do what only you can do by growing your kingdom, including us in its shade, so that we can rest and sleep the sleep of faith in Jesus' name. Amen.